Happy Tuesday and welcome to the Colby Daniels Podcast presented by Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Check out their line of natural medicine products including CBD, Kratom, and the new Delta 8 capsules. Abotanicalcompany.com is the website. Easy to order online, easy and safe pickup. Plus, we're saving you 15% with the discount code Colby Show. C-O-L-B-Y-S-H-O-W. Colby Show is the discount code when you check out online abotanicalcompany.com discount code Colby Show for 15% off your online order. But if you have any questions about CBD or Kratom or Delta 8, give them a call 405-458-9699. They are dedicated to helping people live a better life and they're more than happy to answer any questions you may have. So again, it's all about educating yourself on what these products are and how they can benefit your day-to-day life. abotanicalcompany.com Colby Show at checkout to save 15% off your online order. Once again, abotanicalcompany.com. So Alabama wins the national championship. Nick Saban, national title number seven, number six at Alabama in the last 11 seasons. Uh, it's It's been a remarkable run. We'll talk about uh, Nick Saban, obviously, as the all-time great, the GOAT, uh, in, in today's episode, as well as where this Alabama team ranks maybe in just the the BCS, CFP era of college football. Not to mention, I think a look at 2021 and what's to come for Oklahoma. If you look at what Oklahoma brings back versus what the other teams that made the college football playoff bring back, I, I think it's a really interesting conversation about where Oklahoma should rank in next season's preseason top 25. Uh, also, Lincoln Riley and the Philadelphia Eagles – my guest today is Eric G. from 97.1, the sports animal, Tulsa. Happy Tuesday, Eric. I I would be uh, remiss if I didn't say right off the bat, just to let you know where my, my uh, mind is. I'm a little bit depressed today. The college football season is over. It's done. We've got eight months before we're doing this thing again. So there's a little sadness in the air for me. Oh, don't despair. <laughs> you know better than anyone that, co- that college football never ends. It's 365. You've got another national signing day coming up. It looks like the coaching carousel is going to spin at least one more time. The Tennessee job will probably come open here in the next few days. You've got um, Steve Sarkeesian moving to Texas. You've got spring football coming up this year. Knock on wood. Can't think of any reason actually why we wouldn't have spring football this year. Um, with all the COVID-19 protocol in place. So you have that going on. And then the summer rolls around, and then the summer just becomes us setting up and and raising the expectations even higher for OU. So by midsummer, we're all convinced that they're going to win the national championship. And then right before August, we'll, we'll come right back down to earth and talk about how OU needs to get stronger in certain areas if they're going to be able to beat a team like Alabama. So no, 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 it never, it never ends. College football is, it keeps on giving it in the NFL and the NBA, those three sports every single day, there's always something in the news. So you don't have to despair. Fair enough. You don't fair have enough. to despair. And if you're like, and if you're like me, you fill your DVR up with college football games to go back and watch anyway. So. <laughs> oh, trust me. It's, <laughs> it's I, I'm having to delete games every single week just to make room for the new stuff that that I'm trying to record. So, yeah, I get that. I'm I'm in the same boat. Uh we also get to argue over all of the way too early preseason top 25s, right? That have already come out. Really um I, all right, I haven't looked at them. 
I haven't looked at them, but can I guess who the top five are? Well, it depends whose poll you're going by. So, um, I, I'm going to guess that in all of them, Alabama, Clemson, OU, Ohio State, and even for as bad as they were this year, LSU somehow figure into the top five. Probably Georgia. Jo- I mean, I, 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 I <laughs> Joel Klatt's preseason way too early top 25 last night after the national title game had Georgia number one, actually. Okay. Okay. That's somewhat creative. I mean, not as creative as, I don't know, maybe throwing uh, USC in there, which, which, you know, they'll figure into it. USC will be a top 10 team coming into this this next year. Yeah. Returning quarterback Um, for sure. But it's, it's the usual suspect. And last night I got a message from uh, one of my really good listeners, RW. This guy messages me every single day we talk. Um, and he's a great listener. He's very thoughtful. Very thoughtful, uh, provokes me, gets me to think of some things that I hadn't thought about when he listens to the show. And he brought up the fact that it, he said people talk about expanding the playoffs. And he says over the last three, four years, there's really been one team. You know, like this year was Alabama. Last year was LSU. So you can expand the playoffs, but essentially you're going to get the same results. And he's right. Absolutely, the problem he's right. is the problem is though is last night was bad for college football because the general public who does not live in Tuscaloosa or is like you and I, I mean, live and breathe this sport, um, love the history of it, love the pageantry. Um, you like recruiting to a larger extent than I do, but whatever. Um, the problem is, is the general public outside, if it keeps ending up Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, OU, um, and you, and the result is OU gets knocked out early or Georgia can't win the national championship and it just ends up being Alabama, then you're going to start to see ratings dip. Um, ESPN will eventually, I don't know if they'll necessarily lose revenue over it, but you... At worst, you've got to expand the, the playoffs, A, to keep interest in, and B, to create the illusion that somebody other than these teams can possibly win a national championship. Um, and and one, I mean, and another thing, it would also help from a gambling standpoint, because that's why we know the NCAA tournament is so big, is because of gambling, but you're going to have to do something. I mean, last night, Nick Saban winning his seventh, Alabama winning another one. It was like, all right, we've seen this before. We, we've seen Alabama. I mean, maybe we haven't seen them have possibly the three best players in college football on their team or three <laughs> of the four best players in college football on their team. But they've had, at times, the top two. And they've always been loaded. And it just feels like, yeah. all right. So Nick Saban won another one, and there's there's nothing about that that get that, that gets you real excited unless you're from Tuscaloosa because you just enjoy dominance. And if anything came out of last night, hopefully, what came out of last night is there's somebody that writes checks in Austin and in Norman, and, and are saying we want to do that. How do we do that? And in Austin, the solution is simple. Get the hell out of Steve Sarkeesian's way. Let him run the program. Don't interfere with him. Put your politics in your back pocket for a few years and, and reap the benefits. And at OU, 
It's just a matter of continuing to get better on defense. And it's a matter of somebody going to Lincoln Riley, you know, asking the question, okay, where are we and what needs to be done? What more can we do? Even in a COVID-19 era, those two schools should aspire to be what Alabama is. And really, there's no reason you can't be Alabama at both those schools. That's what. That's, that's the big takeaway I got from last night is why aren't OU and Texas doing what Bama is doing? And don't tell me it's all Nick Saban. Because for as good as Nick Saban is, he's got a hell of a lot of help. And he had a hell of a lot of help in Baton Rouge, and he had a hell of a lot of help. He's got a hell of a lot of help in Tuscaloosa to make it that way. Don't tell me he's the only one that can do that because I just, I'm not buying that. I'm not buying that Lincoln Riley couldn't do it or somebody coaching Texas couldn't do it. So, I, you need to see a new dynasty in college football. At worst, there needs to be a new dynasty in college football because this one's old and tired, and I think the public is ready to move on. Yeah, I think the one thing about this Alabama team that may be different from the others is the fact that Devontae Smith and Najee Harris were just such likable guys that I think it, it was maybe easier to appreciate this Alabama team for the general public than any team before it because I think most of the time Alabama comes in as the juggernaut and they're the favorite and I think with Devontae Smith kind of being the face of Alabama and kind of the underdog story as as maybe you know some people may not see it that way I get that but Devontae Smith being you know what six foot 175 or whatever like people kind of like created this underdog story for him and he wins the Heisman Trophy and he's a very you know quiet talker, you know, very humble. I think Najee Harris is the same way. I kind of felt like because those guys are the faces of the program in 2020, maybe this version of Alabama was more likable than than ever before. Well, add to that Matt Jones. And yeah, that's the, fair the too. Story yeah. behind Matt, I, I, and here's the thing that, that you have to like about the Matt Jones story is Matt Jones is probably – the most prototypical Nick Saban, like if Nick Saban created his perfect player, it would be Mac Jones. Not <laughs> just simply from, from skill, it's the fact that here's a guy that came in, was sort of in Nick Saban's words, a little bit of a knucklehead, had some things to overcome, wasn't as good as the guys obviously in front of him, and took the criticism, studied, matured, figured out how to get better, figured out what he was going to have to do to get on the field and actually contribute in that matter, in that matter versus just being a scout team quarterback and helping the team that way. And those are the kind of players that Nick Saban really covets because he wants to be a rough guy. He wants guys to be mentally tough. And that's Matt Jones, mentally tough to go through that for as long as he did. And people used the term wait his turn. Well, it's not that he waited his turn. He worked his butt off. And he had to beat out another highly recruited quarterback this year to get the job that most Alabama fans thought should be the guy starting. I mean, Nick Saban, because of Mac Jones' performance this year, Nick Saban can now go to a four-star quarterback, a five-star quarterback, anywhere in the country. And if kids are savvy enough, they're going to, call around, they're going to find out the depth chart, they're going to know who's on campus, know who they have to compete against. But Nick Saban can say, 
yeah, we got all these guys on the depth chart, but you saw what Max did. You know, Max stuck it out. Look at look at where Tua is. You know, Tua is starting in the NFL. Look at where Jalen Hurts is. Jalen Hurts has got an opportunity to start in the NFL. No, he wasn't as good as those players. And yeah, I'm going to play the best, but if you come in and give me everything you've got and put in not only the time and effort I demand, but show that you want it and put in that extra time and effort, you're going to get these opportunities. I mean, you're just like, he's the perfect recruiting pitch for Alabama, for that kid who is skeptical about going there because it's like, all right, they got three, four guys in front of me and... <laughs> You know, I might be able to go over here to Arkansas and start right away or Old Miss, and I know I can start for Lane Kiffin or whatever the situation is. Now it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go and do what Matt did because even if I have to sit for three years at Alabama, I'm going to collect some rings and I might get to win one myself and be a hero. That's just, that was priceless. That was priceless for him last night to, to, have, a, to have a guy like Matt Jones come up the way he did in, in in the biggest moment. How do you feel about Mac Jones as far as being an NFL prospect and just your overall like thoughts on on who he is as a player? One more year. I, well, but here's the thing. I was talking about this before you called. I think he could benefit greatly from one more year at Alabama. And, I mean, look, he, to, to, to lose guys like Waddle, to lose a guy like Waddle and have a Devontae Smith certainly is going to help you get better. If you can do what he did this year with lesser talent around you and make them better, a la Tom Brady, Brett Favre, then it, it only ups your stock. It, or it only ups your stock as an NFL quarterback. He does have a tendency to get rid of the ball pretty quick. Um, don't really know how he is at reading defenses, not even sure about that. He does have some running ability. Uh, he's not quite hurts or Tua in, in that manner. Um, but you can always come back and, and, and work on these things. His problem is that he still might not be the best quarterback on campus. And if you come back to Alabama for one more year and you get beat out, then your stock absolutely plummets. So for him, he's in a really odd position of weighing, do I go now and risk maybe going somewhere which, Kobe, you look at him, do you think he's any higher than a third-round pick? Is he a second-round pick? I think he could be a first-round pick for sure. I think mid to late first-round Wow. Pick. Yeah. Well, if he's that high, then he goes. Yeah, I think then I go. he's, he's gone, yeah. I mean, yeah, at that point, you just, you go. There is no decision to be made. But but I think if he comes back to Alabama, I'm not sure he's the starter next year. Um, he would be the starter. But, yeah, I mean, I, your point is valid because the, uh, what's his name, Bryce Young, uh, the, yeah. the Matter Day kid, uh, obviously has a lot of ability. But, I mean, Mac Jones just won a national title and just set the record for passing efficiency in a season. He has the greatest single-season passing efficiency in college football history. Just beat Joe Burrow's number. Yeah, but so um, yeah, but I mean, we, we saw Jalen Hurts get pulled in the middle of a national championship game. I don't know that I would. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Jalen Jalen Hurts never led an offense that potentially is considered the best in college football history. So, um, 
But it, look, if Mac if Mac Jones really is a first round draft pick, then yeah, then then there's nothing to decide. You go now and and take your chances. Yeah, I I, I, not, I I legit think he could go middle of the first, bottom of the first. I don't think it's any worse than second. And again, part of that just depends on how many teams want to take a quarterback in the first round, right? Like Baker Mayfield's year, we saw five go. There have been years where we see like two go at the top of the first round and that's it. So part of it is kind of depending on how many teams want to go that route in the first round. But I think there are enough teams that need quarterbacks with this quarterback class. I think you could see five quarterbacks in the first round. Between, I I think you could potentially see as many as six if teams really decide, hey, we're going to go get our guy and, and, you know, we'll take a little bit of a gamble on guys like Mac Jones and Kyle Trask. But between Trevor Lawrence... Um, Justin Fields, Zach Wilson from BYU, Trey Lance from North Dakota State, and then I think Mac Jones and Kyle Trask are looking at the potential of six guys in the first round. Now, again, that that's I think the bottom two for sure are dependent on you know more than four teams deciding to make that move, but I, I could absolutely see either one of those guys getting a mid to late selection. What is your read on Trey Lance? He only played one game this year. And... I'm not sure. I mean, we're talking about a kid from, from North Dakota State, right? I'm going to make sure I yeah, am getting yeah. that right in Trey Lance. He, he only played one game this year. And we've just seen Carson Wentz get benched by the Philadelphia Eagles. Is, is there a little bit of a tap to break on him? Does he slide a little bit further? Maybe not because, because of, does he slide further down than the one I'm looking at? They've got him going to the to the uh, Carolina Panthers. Does he slide down further than that because of things that were out of his control? He could. Uh, you know, I think he's one of those guys that I think throughout the process, quote-unquote, the process will uh, will help himself. So, and, and look, with quarterbacks, I think a lot of it is upside. Trey Lance and Mac Jones, for example, I think are on the polar opposite ends. Like, Trey Lance is less polished but has so much more upside, whereas... I think Mac Jones kind of is what he is, although there are... I do have some question marks about Mac Jones. We can get into that in just a second. But um, I, I just don't see where Mac Jones is drastically better than he is today. Whereas with Trey Lance, I think there's a lot of room for improvement. Um, and then, you know, again, level of competition also is one of those things that you're just a little bit hesitant on. Not that it, it is the end-all be-all, but, um, you know, I think anybody would be lying if they said that, you know, a guy doing doing what he did against that competition isn't somewhat worrisome. So, um, or at least it's something that you're paying attention to. But, yeah, I think he's, um, he, I mean, if he didn't go in the top 15, I'd be kind of surprised. Yeah, I, I think I would, too, with all the hype coming around and, and he seems like the type of kid that is probably going to go in and buy. I mean, if we have a combine this year and you, you would think that there's going to be some sort of combine, there's going to be some sort of pro days uh, that happened this year. It'd be shocking if, if he didn't necessarily wow in those situations. Um, and, and if he does, then I, I can see him staying right where he is or possibly moving up. I mean, I don't, Look, Trevor Lawrence is going to be the number one overall pick. That poor guy's going to the going to the Jags. Where I'm not 100 percent convinced in some things that I see is Fields going to the Jets because I don't know that the Jets are ready to give up on Sam Darnold just yet. I think if they had a shot at Trevor Lawrence, something that was a no brainer, that's done. Number two with Josh Fields, and Josh Fields was was good this year. 
but I still like Sam Darnold's experience. If I'm in, it's the quarterback. The whole idea of reaching on a quarterback just because of potential worries me some. If I'm an NFL GM, because the thing I value more than anything is experience. And if I'm going to waste a draft pick on you, or I'm going to take a chance on you on a draft pick, especially that high, you better be able to come in and win the job right away. And if you can't, I mean, if, if, if Johnny Mantell, um, if you can't do that, then, or if I have any doubt that you can do that, I'm not, I'm not taking you as, as the pick. I'll stick with my guy one more year or try and find a free agent or, do something to patch it along, but I'm not going to waste my pick on someone that I've got. If there, if there's questions about watching him on film, no matter how good he was in the combine, watching him on film, watching him against competition, if I've got any questions, then no, I'm going to be a little bit safer at that point. I, I think for me, I would say at least for Trey Lance, I like him better than I like Jordan Love a year ago, who was a first round pick. So, um, I think there's more I there. I think there's of, more there with Trey Lance, but I haven't seen enough of him to tell you one way or the other. But I wasn't crazy about Jordan Love. Yeah, I wasn't either. Not well, um, not as a first round pick. I didn't like him as a first round no. pick. But you know, but we're seeing uh, Mac Jones. You know, looking at some of the stuff, Mac Jones to the 49ers, which is which is interesting because I think if the 49ers draft him, that means you're done with Garoppolo. And are you willing to release? a guy that's been better for you than any of his backups and let him go out, let him go out on the free agent market and somebody takes somebody and somebody's going to take a guy that, that helped get you to the Super Bowl. Yeah. That that's interesting. That, that I'd like, that I'd like to see happen. Cause then the Patriots can go get Jimmy G. Uh, but that's me being completely selfish there. Garoppolo's okay. I, just, so, yes. I mean, you could do worse, but you could also do better. No, that's true. I think he, I, Garoppolo's just one of those guys that I think you need to have a lot of other things in place if he's going to be your quarterback. It's never going to be a situation where he's leading you to, you know, the playoffs or a Super Bowl. He's got to have, like, either a great defense or a great run game. It's never going to be the Jimmy G show. No, and where he would struggle in a place like New England is they just don't, they don't have a lot around him on offense. And, but... He's, he and Mac Jones are already an upgrade over what the Patriots have now. If that tells you how desperate they're in. You as a Cowboy fan, do you see Mac Jones as an upgrade over Dak Prescott? No. So, I mean, if you're looking at quarterback situations right now, I mean, and we won't go through all 30 teams in the NFL, but how many teams do you see right now Mac Jones being a complete upgrade? over probably the Jags Jets I'll put a question mark by uh would you take him over Teddy Bridgewater in Carolina I think it's fair to have the conversation I mean I I liked Bridgewater coming out a lot I I think there's been maybe a failure for him to want to push the ball down the field in the NFL he's a he's kind of become a check down guy which you know, isn't necessarily a bad thing, but on some level, you need you need your quarterback to take that next step if he's going to be, you know, one of the elite quarterbacks in the NFL. Can you win with Teddy Bridgewater? Yes, but a lot like Jimmy Garoppolo, I think it, it's become a situation with him where 
he's never going to be the guy that you build it around. You're either going to have to have a great defense or a great run game or, you know, something because he's not going to be chunking the ball down the field over and over and over to lead the way. So, um, yeah, I just, I, I, not, not saying he doesn't ever throw the ball down the field. I'm, I'm just saying watching him, uh, it's their offense isn't predicated on Teddy Bridgewater, just picking you apart through the air. So, like Mac Jones, I, I think it's it's a lateral move, probably. I mean, not to say that Mac Jones is a, a definite success guy in the NFL, but when you look at his skill set, I, I, I mean, I think it's fair to say that he could accomplish at least as much as Teddy Bridgewater has. So, like, when I look at Mac Jones, I, I, I there's not great athleticism there. I mean, honestly, it's, it's kind of similar to Tom Brady, right? Like, he has good pocket presence. Yeah but he doesn't wow you from an athletic standpoint. Like he's never going to outrun anybody, but I, I do give him credit for, I think just being aware of where the pressure's coming from inside the pocket. Now here's the other thing. He doesn't get that much pressure in the pocket at Alabama. So that's like, you know, that's a question mark. How good will he be in the NFL when no matter where he goes, he's going to see way more pressure in the backfield than he did at Alabama behind that Joe Moore award-winning offensive line. I mean, that group was incredible all year. Uh, Mac Jones had the ability to take a snap, drop back, read the defense. I think he was good at, at going through his progressions. Now, here's uh, again, here's the thing. He didn't have to do it a lot because most of the time, his number one target was Devontae Smith and the guy was open, or it might be John Mechie and the guy is open. So um, when when he had to do it, when, when his number one was covered, I think he's pretty good at uh, vision and seeing the field and going through progressions. I think he's really good with his eyes. Um, you know, again, pocket presence, I think is something that, that is good, but we don't really know cause he's not under siege a lot, but I think his, his greatest skill more than anything that you can say about Mac Jones is the ball placement. When he throws the football, like watching Alabama all year long, the one thing that always sticks out, he doesn't have a cannon for an arm. He doesn't put the ball in tight windows or anything like that. But what he does is he puts the ball exactly where the guy that's running can catch it in stride and not have to make any adjustment and just keep going. And and he does it on the passes down the field and he does it on the short like screen passes. He allows his playmakers to catch the ball and make plays after the catch instead of like having to slow down or turn their body to adjust to the football. He has elite ball placement, I think. I mean, that's 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 the one thing about him that stands out every time I watch him is his playmakers constantly are catching the ball in stride and and they have the ability to either just keep running past somebody or make a move to make somebody miss after the catch. Well, looking at it, I mean, looking at all the teams that could possibly need quarterback, uh, the Washington football team, which CBS has him going going there. Um, Certainly think he's better than than either one of the guys that that they've got there. Now, I would think that the Lions might be somebody that want to look at them if, if they're ready to move on from Matt Stafford. Uh, the Vikings, I think that's interesting. Are they ready to move on from Kirk Cousins? The Raiders, um, because you never know with Derek Carr, and I, I really wouldn't wish him to go to the Raiders. How about the Bears? The Bears don't. I mean, the Bears absolutely need a quarterback, yeah. I mean, he's certainly an upgrade there. Um, Pittsburgh? Might be one to watch. Yeah, they absolutely because need a we don't know what what's going to happen. And I'll give you one: the Colts need if a quarterback. The Colts, Colts do. Um, Frank Reich is begging <laughs> right now. Um, 
he's, he's begging Philip Rivers to stay one more year. But I'll give you one to watch, which would make a lot of sense for Mac Jones, and that's New Orleans. Yeah. Because even if even if Drew Brees stays one more year, which seems doubtful, but even if he does, you could bring in – I mean, that'd be ideal for Mac Jones. You come over for one year, you work behind Drew Brees, get used to the NFL game, and then you go start. Um, the idea that it's going to be Taysom Hill and Jameis Winston, I, I don't know that the, I don't know that Sean Payton is ready to trust the Saints to Jameis Winston and, and Taysom Hill. The Saints could be a place where, where he ends up, or heck, even Tampa Bay. How much longer is Tom Brady going to play? I mean you got to start thinking about your future in some of these places. I mean, he's not going to the Chargers. Yeah. Not going to the Giants and the Cowboys. The Broncos need a quarterback. Broncos, for sure. Giants, I, I think you could... We just saw Washington call it quits on Haskins after a year. I think the Giants could be in the same uh, conversation with Daniel Jones. That could be that could be interesting. If, if they're ready to move on, you know, if they're going to spin him someplace, but... Right now, I mean, you've got me convinced that he's probably going in the first round, but I, I'm looking at, you know, places he could end up. I mean, Washington seems to be a good fit, but I, I don't know that he falls that far because they're picking at what? They're picking at 19 right now, and it seems like if he's as good as everyone thinks he is, somebody will probably move up to take him. I can see him being that guy. Yeah, it just, like I said, it just depends on how many him. teams decide they want to go that route because there are there are enough teams that have the need at quarterback to take five or six in the first round. But, you know, if, if for example, the Jets pass with the number two pick and go a different route than, than Justin Fields, then obviously that uh, really opens things up. But, I mean, with the Falcons and the Lions each, there's the conversation that you've got to draft the replacements for Matt Ryan and Matt Stafford. So I think quarterback is in play for both of those teams. Uh, obviously, the quarterback's in play for Carolina and Denver, potentially New York, San Francisco for sure. Um, your Patriots, without a doubt. Um, I mean, that you know, just right there, that's that's enough spots where you could see Mac Jones being in the in the top fifteen. So, as the number five quarterback in the class, <laughs> this will be an interesting draft uh, when, when it comes to quarterbacks this year because I'm not sure how many you have in this draft that are NFL ready right now? Like even when I look at Mac Jones, I don't know that he's NFL ready. The only guy I'm hundred percent sold on to come in and start right away is Trevor Lawrence. I, for some reason, am not as sold on fields as on Justin Fields as everybody else is. I don't know why. I mean, he's got all the talent, but there's, there was something about watching him last night, which made me a little bit hesitant to use the number two pick on him if I'm the Jets. And and it just, I, I don't know, there's maybe a little indecisiveness. Uh, you could chalk some of that up to his offensive line, getting you know beat up as, as, as the game was going on. But it just, I don't know, I wanted to see more out of him last night if I'm, if I'm the Jets to be completely sold on it. You shouldn't judge on one game, but there was just that performance, it's hard for me to get to say what was tangible about it, but it just didn't feel like, yeah, he's our guy. I'm 100%. I am 100% convinced he's the guy. He's, if we're going to take this organization 
and if we're going to take this organization into a level where they can actually compete, I didn't get that sense from Justin Fields last night at all. I, I, I think he's the number two quarterback in the class. I The upside is just through the roof, and I think the upside is so great that where he is today, to me, is kind of irrelevant. Um, but, I mean, I, I think the concerns are valid. I, I would just say, I mean, we, we, you saw what he was capable of against Clemson. I don't know how much the, the rib injury played into his uh, decision-making in last night's game because if he doesn't, if he didn't feel confident in his ability to throw the ball over the top, the deep pass, then, then obviously, I mean, you're just not going to beat Alabama and you're going to look really bad in the process. There were a couple times where I think he had options down the field and he didn't make those throws. And, and to me, I just kind of wonder if that was just him not trusting his ability to make that throw because of the injury or because of the pain level or something like that. So I don't know, but um, I, I would still, without a doubt, take him extremely high in this draft, and I would, without a doubt, take him number two as, the, as far as quarterbacks. I, I think if I, had the, if, I, if I had the number two pick, I'm thinking Devontae Smith, number, number two. Um, I think he's probably, next to Trevor Lawrence, going to be the best player in the draft, and you know, Najee Harris is, is, is a guy, I would think. Although, I would think, but, I mean, is Najee Harris, does he fall in the Derrick Henry category? Because we see how hesitant GMs can be drafting running back in the, well, I mean, Giants did it. Quan <laughs> Barkley uh, drafted, a, drafted a running back high. But is Najee Harris one of those guys where you can justify taking a, you know, using a high draft pick and taking a, taking a running back there. Can you do it? I think I, he, mean, he I think he could be a first-round pick. I'm I'm in the camp that says... Yeah, but, not, but a high first-round yeah, pick. I, I mean, I'm, yeah, no, I, 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 I'm not there. And below, yeah, for sure. Yeah, not a top ten. But can you justify taking him no, at two? No, not, not even close. Yeah, I don't, there's I don't not... I don't know a, how many of those were. There's not a running back in this class that I think is a top 10 guy. I think Najee Harris and Travis Etienne are both probably back half of the first round guys if somebody wants to go running back. But, I mean, honestly, I'd be pretty surprised if if uh, anybody pulled the trigger on either one of those guys in the top 10. I'd be shocked. It's very it's very hard, e- even even with guys that good, to justify taking something in the in the first ten picks at running back. I mean, that guy better be yeah. the next Adrian Peterson. He better be Derrick Henry. Exactly. And I mean, there's just it's I, I, the value for you know being able to get quality guys later at that position is just it's you can't ignore it. I think. I mean, it's just it's look at look at teams that that have quality running backs that have not used first round picks on them. I mean. Derrick Henry wasn't a first-round pick, for crying out loud. Wow. I had forgotten that he wasn't, but yeah. yeah. I mean, it just shows you how, how it just shows you how you can get great running backs outside yeah. of the first yeah. round. I mean, it's the league's full of, of terrific running backs that weren't first-round picks. Man, that kid, but that kid, you can't deny it. He's impressive. He's, he's impressive. He, he's a guy that, that could have a Derrick Henry kind yeah. of career. Yeah. Could have an Adrian Peterson kind of career. And unfortunately for him, just because of the position that he plays, he won't get quite the money until until probably his, until probably his second contract. 
I want to hit a couple Alabama things before we transition to Oklahoma. Uh, first, as far as this Alabama team, I think it's fair to say that most people believe this is Nick Saban's best team. Where does this team, though, I, I think rank in terms of like this era of champions, going back to like the BCS era and the college football playoff era? Are they are they like right toward the top? Uh, I would say number one would be that uh, would be what was it? Oh one Miami. Oh one Canes. Yeah, would be number would be number one. Um, just filthy, absolutely just gushing with, with talent. I mean, it's, yeah. my God, I, I'm trying to think of how many Hall of Famers you had on that team and just guys that went into the league period. So I'd say, Oh, well, the, the backfield was, uh, was uh, Clinton Portis, Willis McGahey, Frank Gore and Najee Davenport. Yeah. Good Lord. So there, there you go. N- n- number one, number one overall, um, not quite a close second. I would say. Oh, four USC. Okay. Um, the, team that destroyed Oklahoma. I mean, you had two Heisman winners on that team. Uh, you had Lindell White. You had Jarrett on that team. Steve Smith. Um, although, although, honestly, I'm not sure that team was as good as the Carson Palmer team that beat Iowa in the Orange Bowl and didn't win the national championship. But we're talking about just national championship teams here. Yeah. That Carson Palmer team that beat Iowa, they were not quite as loaded as Miami, but they were pretty salty as well. But they oh four USC. I take last year's LSU team and put them at three with a little bit of recency bias there. I mean, Joe Burrow and they were loaded. I mean, as we found out, even though their defense, the numbers weren't there, they were just as yeah. the ball as any typical SEC team. Um uh, trying to think of the Alabama team that I would I would put into that discussion. This one is the easy one to put because it's the one that's that's freshest in your memory. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure that Nick Saban's first Alabama national championship team doesn't deserve to be mentioned there. Really, um, the the Mark Ingram, or, uh, Greg McElroy team. Yeah. Really? Yeah, the one the one that beat Texas. I think yeah. that's I think that's probably think, his worst Alabama team, honestly. Which is saying something. Uh, yeah, absolutely, um, yeah. <laughs> because, because there's a lot of people that would have loved it. <laughs> no doubt. Um uh, you the, know what? I think his Even best though, team, honestly, right. is the one they didn't win a championship, but the one two years ago that beat Oklahoma in the semifinal and then just got they had such a bad start in that national championship game and, and ended up getting completely blown out by Clemson. But that team had, you know, Tua and Kyler Murray were in a Heisman race that entire year. Tua was terrific that season. And if he had won the Heisman, I think he was just as deserving as Kyler. I would have voted Kyler just for, for the record. But Tua was, I mean, it was a, a hairline margin. Um, in the backfield, you had Josh... quarterback for them? Oh, go ahead. Finish, finish up. Well, in the backfield, go you ahead, had Josh Jacobs, Damian Harris, and then Najee Harris was your number three guy. And then the receiving core was obviously Jerry Judy, Devontae Smith, Henry Ruggs. Jalen Waddle was a freshman that year. 
I mean, and, and then you had, I think, the most dominant defensive lineman, or at least one of the two most dominant defensive linemen in the last decade in college football with Quinn and Williams. That team was loaded. Who was who was playing quarterback the year they didn't win the division? I, I wrote this down when when looking at, at Nick Saban's stuff. I believe it was twenty. It was the twenty seventeen team when Derek. I think Derek Henry was there. That, that was the year they beat Georgia in the final. That was the year we saw Tua. Hertz uh, was the starter that it. game, and then Tua replaced him. The we twenty. Saw- the 2015 team with Derrick yeah. Henry was quarterbacked by Jacob Coker. Okay. Yeah. So, I don't know. This, I mean, just talent-wise and who they're producing in NFL-wise, this one you, you're, you're going to put into the top five. I would say, oh, man, that Clemson team with Deshaun Watson was pretty salty, too. Yeah. Um, Clemson's had some salty teams uh, of late. Um, but yeah, I mean, those are the ones just like right off the top of my head on this, but yeah, that, that Oh one Miami team, um, you know, I think the, the Ohio state team that beat Miami in the Fiesta bowl deserves to be mentioned with Maurice Claret. Um, I, I, I like I the Cardell Jones, that. Zeke Elliott, Michael Thomas, Ohio state team better. Yeah, that was a, was that the was that the one where they were they the ones that were fourth that were fourth yeah. in the playoffs? Yeah, they were the fourth seed and came through and won. Yeah, no, that that team had a ton of talent. Um, but in the BCS era, it, it's that Miami team. Um, I think it's I know, Miami 05 Texas with Vince Young, I think has to be in that conversation. They averaged 50 points a game, and, and obviously just Vince Young by himself, I think, is, uh, I mean, in the conversation the for, for the best college football player I've ever seen. The LSU team with Jamarcus Russell that left Miles Coast is pretty good, uh, although they lost two games. They, yeah, they didn't win a title, year, though. And then it, I thought they, I thought, who, what was the year that LSU beat Ohio State? That was uh, was that Matt that. was that Matt Mock or Matt Flynn? It was one of the Matts. Why did I think that was Jamarcus Russell? God, man, my memory is awful. Jamarcus Russell right beat now. Brady Quinn and Notre Dame in in like a you know a, I think it was like a Fiesta Bowl or something like that, but it wasn't a national title game. All right, now that makes sense. I, I don't know that. I, I think the only LSU team you mentioned is the one from last year. Then, yeah, agreed. Um, as far as you know, just being that, you know, that loaded. Um, I don't know. You gotta, I think you got to work a way to get down to 2000 OU, though. <laughs> I mean, that's, I mean when, you, when you talk about the best ones, and, and honestly, I think OU, the two best teams that Bob Stoops had, uh, one got beat by Nick Saban LSU, and then the other one got ran out of the, out of the stadium by USC. And those were, I think those were Bob Stoops' two best teams. I think 08 was a good team, and they ended up getting beat by Florida. And yeah. I don't know if there's, I was trying to think of a Florida team you put in. I mean, do you put that team with Aaron Hernandez and um, the Pouncey brothers and Tim Tebow? Do they deserve to be in that conversation? Percy Harvin, Lewis um, Murphy. Yeah. Yeah. That I mean, team they was were, really good. They, they were loaded. Brandon they Spikes, loaded. I think, was the defensive star. So, 
talking about going back, yeah, as, as much as I want to praise this year's Alabama team, I, I think you've got a Miami team that's far and away above it, you know, better than everybody, uh, followed by a couple of USC teams. I think that I'd probably put that Texas team that you mentioned ahead of them. Um, and then probably put, you know, and definitely put last year's LSU team ahead of them. And it's nothing against Nick Saban, but that just shows you, um, one, I think, I think it just shows you how rare it is to do what Larry Coker and the Butch Davis coaching staff did over a four or five year period, um, curating that kind of talent to yeah. just, you know, crank out Hall of Famers. And the sad thing is, is unfortunately for that program, it, it, it didn't sustain. But, yeah, they were the best, I'd say, USC, LSU. Though, last year's LSU were your top three. I think this Alabama team is top five, but I think you could argue there's probably at least a couple of Clemson teams in that Ohio State team that, that you could argue that, that deserve to be ahead of them at least right now. I think a lot of people are starting to find the term GOAT a little bit tiresome, uh, but I'm going to use it anyways. Nick Saban, the GOAT of college football? Okay, glad you asked this. Um, is he the, and GOAT meaning by what? Coach or CEO? Because I'm starting to have two different definitions. To me, Nick Saban, Matt Brown, Mike Gundy, um, who else kind of falls into that category? Mike Gundy in the same breath um, of those, as those guys? No, no. Well, what, what I'm talking about is they're what I call CEOs, more so than coaches. They oversee the entire program versus make the game plan. So I think they're not involved. Yeah. But the development part really comes from their assistants. Like, I would call Lincoln Wiley a coach. He is the offensive coordinator. He is the quarterback coach. Alex Grinch is the coach. He coaches safeties and he coordinates. They're calling plays. They're coaches. Um, you know, Pete Carroll, I think Pete Carroll fell into that CEO category. Um, and you, you can find those all over college football, but that's kind of the category I put McSaban in. And it's far from being the greatest college coach ever. Now we're talking about the seven national championships. Let's not forget 2003. The only reason he went to national championship in 2003 is because OU got obliterated by K-State in the Big 12 championship game. And let's not forget... Because OU didn't play Paul Thompson, Eric. Come on. (laughs) That's why he won one. Yeah, because OU didn't stick with a Heisman Trophy winning quarterback. (laughs) Damn you, Bob. But that's the only reason he won that. And let's not forget, he split that national championship that year with USC. Yeah. And I have no doubt that they play US, if LSU plays USC in that game, it probably should have happened. USC wins that one. So you take that one off the table. In 2011, if OSU doesn't lose to Iowa State on the road on a, what was it, a Friday night game after a tragic plane wreck had happened at Oklahoma State, I'm not making excuses for him. He doesn't play in that game because Alabama didn't even win their division that year. In fact, that year they got beat at home by LSU. Yeah, LSU beat them in Tuscaloosa that year, knocking them out of the SEC championship. They weren't division champs. They weren't conference champs. And then 
very unfairly to LSU, you want them in there with Alabama because the SEC machine and how much propaganda was going for the SEC that year. So take that one off the books. And in 2017, they get beat by Auburn. Don't win their division. They come through the playoffs. Now, granted, I've got less of an issue with that one because you have a new system and it was set up differently. But for everyone to just say, and this was the issue that I had yesterday with going back and forth people on Twitter, it was like, oh, hands down, you know, best development, best recruiting, best this, best that. It's like, well, okay, there are at least two championships you can call into question, maybe three. And if your only criteria on calling him the GOAT is who has the most rings, then, okay, it's either him or Bear Bryant. I mean, those are the only two guys you can talk about. I tend to look at things, I try to go a little bit further in these arguments. Um, I've always said I try and look at circumstances as to how difficult is it to win at your place, what kind of support, what kind of money, what kind of facilities you have. Alabama has it all. Um, I will tell you now, no one in college football has ever done anything more impressive than Bill Snyder did at K-State. Still to this day, growing up watching K-State be the doormat of college football and him raising it to a level uh, where they had chances to win conference championships is still blows me away. Now, they had help, too. A guy had to win a lottery and help build the facilities. Uh, but no, I wouldn't call him the GOAT. And next to that Bill Snyder, K-State, him building that program, I would say 47 straight to me is still more impressive than no matter how many national championships you win because if we're, we're basing it on consistency at that high a level, there wasn't anything more consistent than winning 47 games in a row. And I had somebody try and tell me yesterday, well, no one cares about that. And no, uh, people still care about that. that. That's still one of those numbers that you stay up there with 56-game hitting streak right. that – People kind of go, okay, that record's never going to be broken because it's just so hard to do that week in, week out. And I don't, and it'll never be broken in college football because you're not going to keep people together that long anymore. Um, well, not only are you well, not going to keep people together anymore, but you have to go through a playoff now as opposed to the old system where you may not, I mean, yeah. you, you, I mean, potentially you could win a national championship without even facing a top 10 team. Right? Like, I mean, that's right. Bottom line, that's just the way it was. You weren't guaranteed to play the best the best team in the country in your bowl matchup. So I you know, now not only would you have to run the table for multiple seasons, but you've got to get into the playoff and then beat two teams that are considered to be the best in college football. So Yeah, and the other thing is is I mean, and sometimes it's like any other playoff system. You got to look at, I mean, favorable matchups. Now, I don't, I will say this Alabama team, I don't give a damn who you put them on the field with. They were going to win. Right. <laughs> I think they're, I think Alabama last, I think LSU last year, Alabama this year, um, was it Clemson the year before? I think all three of those teams, it did not matter who they played. They were just that much better than, than everyone else. I mean, talent wise, they were just that much better than everyone else. The other thing, when you talk about a coach, like greatest coach of all time, what is, and this is the other thing I, I'm starting to have a problem with in that discussion. What do we mean by coach? Because we've already had the CEO and development discussion 
But how do I, I Kobe, I'm going to ask you a question right now that may sound just dumb as hell to some people. How do I know right now on OU staff, as far as development and getting the most out of his players every day, that the best coach on staff isn't Bill Beanball? And just because he's not in charge of the program doesn't make him less of or not as good a coach as Lincoln Riley is. Yeah. And, and I think that's what people have got to understand. I mean, what Nick Saban does a great job of, at least I think he does, okay? He's not, not there every day in the Alabama program to know this, but I think what Nick Saban gets the most of every day is he gets the most out of his assistants and the people around him. Or at least he hires really good because he's got into this pattern. And this is smart. This is genius. This is so genius on his part. But please take this into consideration when you're talking about him being the GOAT. He does a great job of hiring guys who are former head coaches who need that rebuild of their career. And he's about to do it with Bill O'Brien. Bill O'Brien is going to replace Steve Sarkeesian. Sarkeesian is the guy that, that fell from grace at USC. I mean, Sarkeesian was a, by all accounts, he was a pretty good football coach when he was at USC as an offensive coordinator. Um, and everybody's looking at his record as head coach to knock what he can do at Texas. It's like, whoa, 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 now wait a second. Look at the circumstances at USC when he was there. He was taking over for Lane Kiffin. He unceremoniously got booted, and they were on probation. Taking over Washington program that wasn't very good and having to build it and left it in better position for Chris Peterson than when he found it. Uh, USC, I don't know how good he could have been at USC, and it was by his own hands that he got fired there. So it's the whole, it's that whole idea of what is a coach. And as far as CEO running a program, um, no. I won't say that Nick Saban is the best builder. Because I will not only tell you that, that Bill Snyder is the best builder of any program, I'll go you one better that's going to piss off all you fans. Howard Schnellenberger oh. is a better builder of a program than Nick Saban is because look at what he took over. And Miami was going, was literally going to give up football before he got that job. And I, it's, you hear him talking, he's like, my God, it was so obvious. Just recruit the kids in your damn area. <laughs> Figure out ways to get them in. Figure out ways to get them into this private college. Oh my God, we don't have to go very far to get really good talent. Now, granted, uh, the best quarterbacks from Miami. I don't think any of them. I mean, Kozar, Testaverde, and Kelly. None of them came from Florida. It's a more Pennsylvania guys, but um, he took. He's in a program that literally nobody cared about. They were playing their games on Friday nights. They were giving away tickets to Burger King for crying out loud. And he helped turn them into a monster. And I would go so far as to say, is he is Nick Saban better than Jimmy Johnson? Because Johnson only won one national championship at Miami. I think we all agree, had he stayed there, he probably wins more. And the dude won two Super Bowls. Is Nick Saban a better program builder than Urban Meyer? Urban Meyer's won national championships at two different places, just like Nick Saban has. Doesn't have as many. Urban Meyer, okay, doing what you did at Michigan State, that's impressive. But Michigan State's got history. 
Utah has history with a question mark. And Urban Meyer built that program in, into, he took a program that was good. Don't get me wrong. Utah was good, had some history before Urban Meyer got there. But Urban Meyer helped get them to a level where they could eventually be taken out of the Mountain West and go to the Pac-12. So all this stuff about the seven national championships and it's an open and shut case, I'm not buying it. I mean, if that's your only why, judge, Eric, then why yeah. do you hate Nick Saban and I will take it off the air? <laughs> it's not that I hate <laughs> Nick Saban. And it's not, it's, not, it's not Saban that I hate. Uh, would I ever want to be in a press conference with him? No. And I wouldn't want to be in one with Bill Belichick either. Um, but what I hate is the fact that people go, well, this is just open and shut. No one has ever done it better than him without looking at the totality of college football. You've got to dig deeper. I mean, when you talk about college football and who is the best at whatever, there is a lot to mind. And what we have gotten into a real bad habit of in the media, and we're spoon-feeding fans this, is we're only covering the surface. And our job, first of all, whoever the best is, that's your opinion. There's no definitive yes right. or no. Right. That we got to remember. We, but our job, I thought, I think more than anything, is to bring arguments to the table and at least try and make people think. Now, they can call us crazy. They can call us idiots, buffoons, whatever, uh, worse than that. Um, and I'm okay with that. But I just would feel like, I'm selling everyone short if I didn't point out some of these things with Nick Saban in that argument. You still want to think he's the best. That's fine. Uh, he's not the best for me. That's Bill Snyder. That's Bob Wilkinson. Um, and man, I, I may have to, it's very begrudgingly, like if I hated anyone, it would be Urban Meyer. Just don't like that dude. He makes my skin crawl. Yeah. For all the crap that went down at Ohio State before he left. That just, Honestly, talking about him makes me sick to my stomach. But I may have to give him a slight edge over Nick Saban for the success of Florida, Ohio State, and really, more impressively, the success of places like Bowling Green and, and, and Utah. Um, those are the, I mean, you can win it. If you can win at Bowling Green, if you can win at Utah, if you can win at Oklahoma State, those places impress me. Yeah. Because I'm not sure. And Utah, I, nah, Utah may not figure into that discussion. But Utah, they give a damn. They give a damn about football. They always have. Um, and, and I applaud Utah for putting football ahead of basketball. Um, but when it's been done before, it's been done in Alabama. It's been, I mean, heck, it was done in Florida. Um, not really until Spurrier. Spurrier. I did I put Spurrier ahead of Saban? Reason being, Florida was never on that level until Spurrier got there. Never. They were good, but they were, I would lump them in with LSU as one of the most underachieving programs in the history of college football until Spurrier got there. And then people went, oh crap, we can win national championships here? Yeah. You got the talent. <laughs> There's no reason you shouldn't be this good. So yeah, no, there, there are a lot of guys I'd, I'd put ahead of Nick Saban before I'd call him the GOAT. Because in Alabama, there was a Bear Bryant before him. And there's a whole lot of people willing to write checks to make them better. Um, that was not the case at Bowling Green. It's not the case at Utah. It's certainly not the case. At, and I'm not saying Mike Gundy's better than him. 
but it's certainly not the case of Oklahoma State. Well, you're never gonna um, you're never gonna win a national championship if you don't have the support and the financial backing of of your institution. I mean, look, Mike Gundy didn't build Oklahoma State by himself, right? Boone Pickens' injection of millions of dollars played a big role in that. Mike Gundy doesn't turn that thing around if Boone Pickens doesn't make a very generous donation. So, I mean, that's I, I think that applies to everybody that we're talking about here. Florida backed Urban Meyer. Ohio State was great way before Urban Meyer with Woody Hayes, right? Like, everybody yeah. has tradition that I think we can, we can point out before anybody had success there. I mean, there's always a first. But look, I'll say this about Nick Saban. Number one, I think he's doing it in an era where, once again, I mentioned this earlier, you you have to go through, even if you don't agree with the, the final four teams, I think most people would at least agree that that there's never been a team in the playoff that didn't that wasn't at least deserving to even be in the conversation. So even if you disagree maybe once or twice over the last seven years with a team that got in, at the end of the day, I think it's it's been been shown over the last seven years that the best teams are in, and at least the best two teams are in every year. And you have to go through the the next best team in the country to win a national championship in this current system, and even in the BCS, rather than the old system where, you know, sometimes there were split national champions and the two best teams, uh, you know, maybe one was playing in the Orange Bowl and the other one was playing in the Rose Bowl. I mean, it was a it was just... I'm not discrediting those championships. I'm just saying they weren't guaranteed to play the best team in the country when it was all said and done. So there was never a definitive, we know that this is the number one team in the country. I think this is the toughest era to do it in. I think it's building a program is really tough, but I also think sustaining that level of excellence is really tough as well, especially in a sport where you have players coming in and out. I mean, if you have, if you just happen to have a special group of players you know, everybody kind of has those years where everything kind of lines up and all of a sudden you have like an Iowa State this year or, uh, you know, Northwestern has these years every once in a while where all of a sudden it just, it all kind of lines up and they have this one class that stays together and has a lot of chemistry and has a couple of NFL guys and they make a run. It's being able to sustain that year after year after year. And Alabama not only is in the conversation every single year, They've won six national titles at Alabama in, what, the last 11 years now? They've been on the doorstep a couple other times. They've had, I mean, you man, you talked about the management of assistant coaches. How many offensive and defensive coordinators has he had during that time period? So, obviously, it's not just, I mean, he, he's clearly making good hires, and the oversight is there. But, like, when that guy leaves, it's not like there's a drop-off. Like, literally, the next guy who's picked does the same thing. So, uh, I, I think maybe you're underselling just the, the job that Nick Saban's done a little bit. It, it, I think it comes from more just, if it wasn't at Alabama, I'd probably be a lot more able to put that rubber stamp on it. Um, had he stayed at LSU, and it, I'm not saying it's fair that I think this way, had he stayed at LSU and done this, yeah, I'd probably be saying exactly what everyone else is. Because for a long time, I mean, even though LSU had won a national championship prior to Nick Saban getting there, it was one. And you always just look at that program going, my God. I mean, lump, my, you know, lump Florida, LSU, and I'm even, I'll take Texas now, throw them into the same category. You don't have to go really far to get good players. Yeah. You just don't. And Nick Saban, 
that's where I give him a lot. I give him more credit for that one he won at LSU than I do even the 61. Uh, even though I, I somewhat discredit that championship, I give him more credit for just finally coming, somebody coming in going, this is how we've been here. Just do it this way. People have been saying it for years, but nobody had been able to execute it. And not only did he execute it, but again, he left it in, in a situation where Les Miles took over. It was good. Miles gets fired. And then all of a sudden, um, Ed Ogeron takes over. And Ed Ogeron does, you know, win, wins the national championship. So he made LSU, in, in sort of a sense, a turnkey operation. It, the, the weird thing about LSU is that since he's left, both Saban and Ogeron have had these major dips. Um, we're at Alabama. It's just it, it stayed on it stayed on a straight line the entire time since he took over. And I'm just wondering if LSU can't find that coach to just maintain the way that Saban did at Alabama. I don't know that it is Eddie O. I'm yeah. happy for him. I'm glad he won a championship. But I'm, but I'm interested to see of who that guy is going to be. And I look if you want the, the biggest testament to Nick Saban. And I'm going to contradict myself here as to why he may be the greatest ever. Look at his coaching tree. Yeah. I mean, look, look at how well his assistants do when they leave. Now, granted, I mean, some of them had already had experience before going to Alabama. Mike Loxley uh, being one. And there's nobody in college football I'm happier for than him to have that job at Maryland. And I hope the people at Maryland understand that if you're at 500 or just below, that's probably job there um, being in the Big Ten where they are um, but my clock is getting into Kirby Smart look at what he's doing at Georgia and again not that Saban necessarily made Smart the coach that he was but there's something about having that tree and I have no doubt that Steve Sarkeesian can do a good job at, te- at Texas if they don't get his damn way so, I mean, McElwain. McElwain's an interesting one. He's really good at Colorado State, not so good at Florida. Um, then uh, Dan Mullen comes from the Urban Meyer tree. Um, but you've got, there's enough of his guys out there that are having success that tells you that they've really learned how to, um, how to at least, they've at least gleaned a lot of things from him and put them into action. Yeah. In, in the way that they go do their programs, or at least they're smart enough to look for programs that are going to let them do it their way, which I think that's the thing that that sets Saban apart from a lot of guys is Saban, Saban carries a command of, you're going to let me come in and do it my way. And if you don't, then I'm not interested in your job. And, and I think that's the way every head coach has got to be. And something I don't respect him or think he's not, good at what he does. There are just other guys out there that I think are facing much tougher circumstances that don't quite get the due they get, get the due they deserve because they're so overshadowed by guys like Nick Saban. And in the Big 12, it's Lincoln Riley kind of overshadows everyone. And it's like, well, it's not not what Matt Campbell's doing at, at Iowa State. Um, when he leaves, we may not see that again. You know what does that right. tell? What does that tell you about that? What, what does that tell you about that guy? If he can do it there, and no one else can do what he does, I mean, then that 
tells you there was something that, that set him apart. So it's not. So for me, it'll never be an open and shut case of who the greatest is in college, in college football. I've got my opinions on it. It's, it's Snyder and, and Bud. Um, you know, Daryl Royal, I think, has to fit in there for everything he did at Texas. Um, Bear do, do you put Ohio State I mean, and Oklahoma in the same like on the same tier as far as college football programs as Alabama? Yeah, I do. Because then they should be. They should be. I agree with you. I, I think they are as well. But like, I'm going to make a pro Saban comment here. In my entire lifetime, if these three programs are on the same tier, in my entire lifetime, Ohio State's won two national championships. In my entire lifetime, Oklahoma's won two national championships. Alabama's won six in the last 11 years. I mean, that's... I... <laughs> does that tell you more about Alabama? Does that tell you more about Alabama? Or does that tell you more about Oklahoma? I to me, that's a pro Nick Saban thing. I, I th- for me, so I think it's just really hard to do, and nobody else. I mean, those are the those are the only two programs that I think are on the same tier as Alabama, and they've both won two national titles in my entire life. And I so again, I think that I just would, goes to. I sh- could, I put Texas on that tier, but Texas is so damn underachieving. I think they're, they're they're the next uh, one down with like Michigan and Florida State. Maybe Nebraska. Nebraska probably slipped to the second tier for me. Notre Dame probably slipped to the second. Where tier. you put that? I was going to ask where you put where you put Notre Dame and all that. Um, to do it, I mean, yeah, it is. But I think it also tells you more about Oklahoma and. Well, I, here's the thing I'll say about Ohio State. Ohio State has done a better job of maintaining talent than Oklahoma. That is that fair enough to say since Jim Trussell got there? Is that Ohio State seems to, as a whole, have a better caliber of athletes than Oklahoma on both sides of the ball? Is that fair to say? I think they're pretty even, honestly. I mean, you know, we're for... You- Bob Stoops was on the doorstep against LSU and USC and Florida and Lincoln Riley has had, I mean, not that they're, they're in the, you know, OU hasn't been in the same league as Alabama over the last five years, but they've been, you know, again, better than everybody else. I mean, to, to say that nobody's been Alabama is, uh, I, I don't think that's necessarily a knock, but yeah, they're, they're not in Alabama's class. And, I, and that that bothers me. That bothers me a, a great deal because it shouldn't. It, there just should never be that much distance between OU and Alabama or OU and LSU. That just kills yeah. me to even say that. So with all that, yeah, I mean, I can see why everyone says Nick Saban is the best, and I certainly don't hold it against you or I'm going to point fingers and say you're wrong. Um top five all time I would have a hard time arguing that he's not top three all time I'd have a hard time arguing that he's not but uh, there are other guys there that he is so overshadowed that it's like oh wait a second let's just pull them back into the uh, argument and and you know find out what really impresses in that situation the other thing is I told the think he's ever well I think there's been one well one game or one national championship game where they got blown out yeah I mean and that, like I said it, earlier, I think that was one of his best teams. It just, you know, it, it they made a couple of mistakes early, and it just, you know, became a landslide. But it 
it's hard to argue. I don't know. You convinced me. Nick Saban the best. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like when you said John Daly's an American treasure. It's like, man, your yeah. points are too hard to argue with that. Argue with uh, all right, I, I, we got to hit OU because I think there are a couple of really interesting things to talk about. Um, let's start with the Lincoln Riley to the Eagles stuff. Um, reports are that Jeffrey Lurie, after firing Doug Peterson yesterday, um, has hired a GM and they have contacted Lincoln Riley. I'll just give you my initial opinion. I think if you are anybody that's in charge of a football program and you have a head coach opening, you would be an idiot to at least not have a conversation with Lincoln Riley. It doesn't mean he's interested, but I think that's a credit to what a great football mind Lincoln Riley is. So if you're not at least gauging the interest level of Lincoln Riley, I think you're failing. So good good for the Eagles to, to at least reach out. Again, we'll see if any news develops from this and Lincoln Riley shows any mutual interest. I doubt it, but you know, that's that's kind of where I stand. I think I think he's a guy that I would I would at least contact if I had a job opening. Don't rule it out. Here's why. A couple of reasons why I, I was writing this down. I was trying to make the argument, you know, why Lincoln Riley would be interested in this job. Because the first when I heard his name pop up, I'm like, well, they're committed to Carson Wentz. And they're committed to Carson Wentz because they owe him almost $100 million. And if they cut him after next season, it's $24 million in dead cap money. I mean, it's going to cost them a lot of money to get rid of Carson Wentz, either by cutting or trading. They're committing. So I thought, okay, well, why would he be interested in that job? Because I was, you know, thinking about the Jalen Hurts connection. It didn't make a lot of sense. And then all of a sudden I thought, well, wait a second. If Lincoln Riley is this quarterback guru that we all think he is, and by all accounts, he is, then why wouldn't I want him to come in and work with my high price guy? Look, you you did great work with Baker Bayfield. You did great work with Kyler Murray. You did great work with um with Spencer Rattler. We had another five-star here. Come fix him. His head needs to be fixed right now. His confidence needs to be fixed. And if that will work, we got one of your guys right here as a backup. So we got that. So that's the first, there's your first connected dots on, on why this might actually work. Second, if you're Lincoln Riley and you're even remotely entertaining going to the NFL, this is one of the jobs you might want because you've got an owner in Jeffrey Lurie that is committed to win. And Jeffrey Lurie's not a guy that's going to nickel and dime you to death or he's not a guy that's going to interfere with what you or Howie Rosen wants to do with the team. Let, the other thing that let me interrupt real quick. Really, let me interrupt real quick. Do you think that it's a good or bad sign for, for potential candidates that they fired Doug Peterson three years after a Super Bowl? Like, is that something that you think weighs on the decision to take this job? I think it does, but I think the, the, the overwhelming fact, because I, I used to always think, that, like, God, they just got rid of a guy that won the Super Bowl. Why the hell <laughs> yeah. would I want to go there? Well, there, there's only 30 of them. There's only 32 of these jobs. So, yeah, it's sucks and yeah it's a risk but anytime you take a coaching job it's a risk and because there's only 32 of them they want me yeah I'm, I'm gonna go ahead and go for it um I, i'll take that job because i've got the confidence that i can go and do it i think the thing that would appeal to lincoln riley is how he's gonna run the team he's gonna pick the personnel 
Lincoln Riley can go into a situation where it, it could be very much like Cliff Kingsbury. You're running the offense. Howie will hire somebody that runs the defense. You're not really running the organization the way that you do at, at, at OU. You're just coaching ball at that point. And to some extent, for a guy like Lincoln Riley, who I think in his heart of hearts is a coach, there's a reason why Lincoln Riley hasn't given up play calling. There's a reason Lincoln Riley coaches the quarterback. You gotta have passion to do that. You can't just do it because you think you're the best best sport and there's no one else that can do it. No, right. you've got to really want to go out and do that every day because as a head coach, there's so much going on in a football program. It'd be easy to say, okay, yeah, I'm good at this, but you know, I'm gonna hire a quarterback coach. I'm gonna hire an offensive coordinator. I'm going to be more involved with this aspect. I'm going to be more involved with the game plan on both sides of the ball and and just all the all the other stuff you have to do as a head coach. No, this dude wants to coach some ball. He wants to be in there in that quarterback room every day. He wants to talk about the X's and O's. He's perfect for the NFL. He is perfect with for a way the organization for an organization like the Eagles is run. He is dead solid, perfect. And if they don't, like you said, if they don't at least talk to him, they're doing themselves a disservice. Agreed. If I'm him, I seriously think about this job. This job makes sense. It makes more sense than I originally gave it credit for. And, and when I looked at it a little bit deeper, I'm like, no, no, this one, this one works. You know, you're not going to a half-ass organization like the Bengals. Um, you're not putting yourself in a situation <laughs> Like, like the Dallas Cowboys, where where yeah. Jerry Jones is gonna, you know, Jerry's gonna interfere with everything. And you're under a Jeff microscope. Yeah, right. You're not going into a situation like Houston, where yeah, you've got a great quarterback, like, um, and great in the loose terms, and, and Deshaun Watson, but an organization that looks like a cat that's continually chasing its tail. Yeah, that organization's screwed up right now um you're you've got the franchise quarterback you've got the good owner and you've got a gm that all seem pretty solid as an organization that is everything you want so if you're going to make this move this is one of the few jobs that i think would really appeal to him and the only reason i think it wouldn't is either a he just loved college football and didn't want to leave it b his wife is saying, I'm not moving up there where it's freezing cold. I'm a Texas girl, and you better keep me south of the Mason-Dixon line. Because <laughs> if, if they want him, throw a ton of money at him. I like this move. I really do. And, and normally, when I hear Lincoln Riley to the NFL, I'll pick it apart. But And at first, it was like, ah, this one doesn't make sense. No, it makes sense. It, I mean... This is one of the best organizations in the NFL. And yeah, they just got rid of a guy that won the Super Bowl. But you also remember, it's a player's game. And they're doing everything they can to keep the player happy. And because they signed Carson Wentz to a huge contract, it was either him or Doug Peterson. And it's a lot easier to replace Doug Peterson than it is the money you lose on Carson Wentz. So that's why this decision was made, no matter what Jeff Laurie said in his press conference yesterday. See, I don't think they have the franchise quarterback, so that's probably where we disagree a little bit on how good this job is because I don't think Carson Wentz is is the guy. Um, 
And also, I would say this for the people that think he might take this job because of Jalen Hurts. If you watch Lincoln Riley's press conferences throughout the Jalen Hurts year, I think there was an incredible amount of frustration with what Lincoln Riley was trying to get out of that offense and not getting on a weekly basis. So I, I'm not disputing that that he likes Jalen. I think he loves Jalen Hurts. I, I think that he thinks the world of Jalen Hurts. But from a football standpoint, I just think there are some limitations with what Jalen Hurts can do in the passing game versus what Lincoln Riley actually wants to accomplish offensively. So I don't think the Jalen Hurts angle is a reason at all for Lincoln Riley to take that job. I don't think there's a franchise quarterback in Philly. And I would even argue, I think the 2021 Sooners are going to be Lincoln Riley's best team. So, No, that, that's true. Does, does he, that, that, does he that, wanna, last, that last statement is true. It kind of feels like this. he's finally in 2021 going to to kind of reap the the fruits of his labor, if you will. I mean, you know, he, he inherited a defensive coordinator that, that kind of, I think, prevented him from potentially winning a national championship in those first few years when they had just, I mean, all-world offenses. And now it's kind of, you know, completely his program. He's had enough time to get the guys in place that he wants to get something formidable on the other side of the football. You have an offense that was really young this year and is going to take a step forward. I, 2021, I mean, this is Lincoln Riley's year. It is, but the other thing he's got to consider now, he's not quite to that point yet. And what you don't, what you don't want to become is Mr. Interview Guy, where you're constantly talking to people in the NFL or talking for the jobs, and eventually it's going to irritate Josie. And eventually they'll come a point, no matter how good Lincoln Riley is, it, it's going to come, all right, you're going to talk to these people, you better get that job. You don't have one here. Because <laughs> that eventually will just well, irritate the hell out of it. Any athletic director is like, I can't got to worry about losing this guy? Well, I look, mean, come on. If you're, if you're any you know, good, if you're, that sh- if you're any good, that should be a concern anyway. I mean, good coaches get you know, get interest. I would say this, if he's actually interviewing for jobs, yes, that's frustrating. But if, if people are calling him to gauge interest, he can't help that. I mean, if his phone is ringing, I mean, he's not making the call and maybe he, t- he shoots it down immediately, but it's still reported as he took a call from the Eagles. So I think there's, that's one of those things that there's definitely a gray area there where I, I think sometimes it's a little bit misrepresented. The other thing is, is eventually, you know, if this is what you want to do, if you want to be an NFL coach, eventually there comes a time where you said no long enough that people are no longer interested in sure, you. Sure, sure. And that, that happens to everyone. I don't care how good you are. Eventually it becomes, well, he's had a crack at five different jobs and he's turned them all down. I'd love to have him, but... You know why am I gonna? Why am I gonna keep you know throwing my throwing my light in there when I've got other guys that I, a I know would take the job are just as qualified. Maybe they've been in the NFL. Maybe they've been coordinators. So they've been, um, you know, they've been position coaches and they've and they've worked their way up through the NFL and they're NFL guys. I'm not bringing a college guy in. I'm I'm hiring an NFL coach. And I may have to pay, and I may be able to pay him less, and I can get the same result. And he understands how things work, so it's going to be easier to for, for us to to deal with the business side of things. Yeah, we're, we're done with this. We've been down this road one too many times before. 
So forget it. So for him, you've got to realize that there's an expiration date on your opportunity. And if he's even remotely, I mean, if it's even in the back of his mind, look hard at this one. This is one you look hard at. I would say that's not the case for the Falcons. I would say it, you know, we've said the Texans. I wouldn't do it with the Jags unless Shad Khan, um, it means to see if Shad Khan's going to give Urban Meyer control. But I mean, if you just want to coach football, it's a better opportunity than even what you got at, at OU at this time. But I, I don't see him doing it. I'm with you. I think ultimately he stays here and OU contends for a national championship next year. And if they don't win it, uh, with this being his best team, then maybe you see if another opportunity comes along, then maybe you see him take it because maybe he, he feels like he's done all he can do at Oklahoma in the short amount of time that he's been here. Because if you're just not getting over that hump, yeah. He may not have the answers as to, as to how to get over that hump. He may have to turn it over to someone else. But I'm good, but I can't get him here. Yeah. And we've had a, a sniff of the national championship now. What, he's been in the playoffs three times. We've had a sniff of the national championship four times with me being a head coach and still haven't won it. So let somebody else take the reins and I'll go in the NFL. So that, 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 and that may be the situation that happens next year. All right, make make the argument. This is how we'll close this thing. Make the argument against Oklahoma being the preseason number one. Ooh, um, without going into any, does Georgia have more people returning than OU next year? I. I don't know that I can. I don't know the total number that, that, that comes back for Georgia. I know they're losing. Every starter in the secondary. Both corners are probably first or second round picks. Uh, but yeah, their their entire secondary is leaving. They're losing um, Ojolari, their pass rusher. That's kind of like their Ronnie Perkins. Uh, so he's going to the next level. Th- they might have the best defensive lineman in college football next year with Jordan Davis coming back. They'll bring back their quarterback like OU with JT Daniels. Uh, Pickens obviously comes back. Uh, offensive line should be pretty good. Um, but yeah, that's kind of that's kind of where they are. The only argument that I can make against OU not being number one is we haven't seen them win the national championship. Yeah, that's it. I, I think I think coming into it, you've got too many people coming back. You've got a uh, high trophy candidate quarterback. You're improving at running back. Uh, the receiving core should be even better next year with the addition of Trajan Bridges and, and, and one more year for those guys. Um, you are losing some key guys on the offensive line, uh, but I'm beating Bowie Trust. And I think defensively, this is easily the best team that OU has had since, yeah, you may have to go back to 2008. Yeah. Defensively. Yeah. For, for this being the best defensive team OU has. So the only argument you can make is A, they haven't done it, and B, they're in the Big 12. And by the time they get to the college football playoff, the Big 12 won't have, have sharpened their knife enough for them to uh, to win the national championship. I think Iowa State's going to be a top 10 team next year. So I think that's going to be a tough test. Um, Iowa State's going to be really good, and they're bringing back almost everybody. Um, 
I think with Nick Benito and Perion Winfrey both coming back to, to pair with Isaiah Thomas, and then you get Jalen Redmond back, some of the young guys with Corey Robertson and Josh Ellison on the defense, that, that defense I think is going to be just incredible. And then, you know, obviously the young defensive backs that, that got more experience this year, uh, you, you lose Trey Brown and Trey Norwood, which I think is significant, but the young DBs I thought made steps in the right direction this year. I think the defense is going to be dominant on the defensive line. Uh, so that's that's the first part. Yeah. And then, like, the biggest issue, I think, at the end of the year was the offense, right? Like, are they going to be able to sustain enough offensively? And there were just, you know, they were still capable of the big play. They were still scoring points. But offensively, they just weren't able to move the ball methodically. And that was an issue. And, and you know, that became an issue in the second half against Iowa State in the Big 12 Championship. They just couldn't move the ball. And the defense was out there forever. Um, you know, I do have, I do trust that Beaton Bow is going to get around the losses of Adrian Ely and, and Creed Humphrey. Uh, but you have year two of Spencer Rattler. You have all those pass, pass catchers back um, with Mims and Weiss and Bridges and Hazelwood and uh, Stogner as a tight end and, you know, Kennedy Brooks and Seth McGowan out of the backfield. If the offense is even a little bit better to pair with how good I think the defense can be next year, I, I, it's hard to imagine that... that based on what you know about all these teams that you put anybody ahead of Oklahoma. Like, obviously, Alabama is going to replace studs with studs. That's what they do every year. But there's always a level of unknown when you bring a new guy in regardless. So I think from that standpoint, there are more knowns about Oklahoma than there are about any of the other teams that were in the playoff this year. Yeah, you make a, you make a really good argument on that. And I think just at some point, it, it, the reason they're not, number one, and they may not be, it's just simply Oklahoma prejudice or Big 12 prejudice that keeps them somewhere. I, like, if I had to guess right now, Colby, I bet they're preseason three coming into it. Yeah. Um, I would somehow, I would think, Georgia, you know, you mentioned Georgia, Alabama's going to be ranked high, Ohio State's going to be ranked high. I mean, I mean, Clemson, we forgot, we, we, why do we keep forgetting to talk about Clemson? They're not falling off the face of the earth anytime soon. No, they'll be. Um, so even with the loss of Trevor Lawrence next year, again, Dabo, we trust. I get the OU being ranked ahead of them, but I don't think OU will be number one, which they probably should. But Clemson will bring that, back almost everybody defensively, and especially with uh, Kendrick, who was going to be a first-round corner deciding to come back. Clemson's going to be really good defensively, but they lose Trevor Lawrence, Travis Etienne, uh, Cornell Powell, and Amari Rogers. So they lose their quarterback, their top running back, and their top two pass catchers. So, and I would say this about Clemson. We saw this in the semifinal. They weren't great on the offensive line. So you're, you're bringing a bunch of new skill position guys back to a team that's not great up front. The defense will be all world. I think Clemson's defense next year is going to be just incredible. But... Uh, offensively, that's where I think there's a there's a question mark. Again, DJ Uyunglele, if I said that right, I think is a future yes, first-round draft pick. It's just a matter of how fast he progresses, right? Right. And by all accounts, he's going to progress pretty fast. I, I think, I honestly think um, next year will be him and Spencer Rattler are going to be the two most fun quarterbacks to watch in college football and probably the two best quarterbacks in college football. And 
I would would put Rattler ahead of him simply because he's got got a year on him of, of starting and playing. But that should be that's going to be a heck of a lot of fun over these over these next few over, over these next few months to just kind of see how each progresses in the spring. But I mean, another year for Spencer Rattler, my gosh, Colby, yeah. this kid is going to be insane. He may end up being Lincoln Riley's best quarterback by the time he leaves Oklahoma. Well, if the guys that he's throwing he the ball to not, next year catch the ball, I mean, who knows what the numbers look like? And he may not. And he may not win. A, and here's the thing: he may not win a Heisman and can still be the best quarterback to play yeah. under Lincoln Riley at OU. Yeah. Because there may be somebody who just has, I mean, in the Heisman is an award of is an award of height as much as it is anything else. If somebody just catches fire in the media next year, no matter how good Spencer Rattler is, he may end up number two. But that doesn't mean that he isn't the overall best to have played him. That doesn't mean that he's not better than Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, and Jalen Hurts. And it's just a matter of him progressing. He's never going to have the speed that a Kyler Murray does. But he's certainly got all the weapons that, that all those other guys have had. Yeah, I mean, what what does he lack? The size of Jalen Hurts and the size of Jalen Hurts and the speed of Kyler Murray. Well, guess what? Those are God given abilities. Everything else he has it just just makes him a guy that, that that NFL scouts are like, all right, young man, you sure you don't you want to come out next year? Yeah, <laughs> and I mean, you know what? Next year may be the last year we see him too. Vince Young's the best college football player I've ever seen, and he didn't win a Heisman. So, no, wow, Vince Young—that's interesting. <laughs> he wow, dude, he was a, it's a good one. A yeah, one-man wrecking crew. That no, that's no lie. <laughs> I'd say Leroy Selman, but I'm old. So fair enough. I'd fair say enough. Leroy Selman, Brian Bosworth, um, and Tony Casillas. I'll pull the code with the can see it's one of the greatest football <laughs> players I've ever seen. None of those guys won the Heisman um, either, so the point is validated. No. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's, 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 you know, take, take the Heisman for, for, for what it is. It doesn't always be. I mean, Dominican too, one of the best players yeah, I've ever for seen. Sure, for sure. Didn't win the Heisman, so. Yeah. Just, as long it, as you it, voted it, for an Alabama player this year, I think uh, I think you got it right. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I, God, if I'd have had a vote, I mean, if I'd have had a vote, I probably would have voted Trevor Lawrence number one. Um, but man, Devontae Smith, Mac Jones, Najee Harris, I thought, if you I got thought, all three of them on your ballot, I don't have a problem with that. For me, Devontae Smith and Najee Harris would have been the top two guys I would have decided from. I'm not a voter, so I didn't like spend the time like really making my decision between those two guys. But I think just in terms of like standouts, those two guys every single week stood out to me above everybody else. Yeah, they, I mean, they just every week. I wish I had. I wish I had seen more of Alabama than just these last two games. And and that was the thing. I mean, like yeah. I said, I, the team I saw the most this year was Oklahoma State. So I'm a much better judge of them than I am a lot of other teams. I wish I had seen Alabama. I wish I had had time or purposely watched Alabama more than seeing them play in their, in their last couple of games when there was no OU, there was no Big 12, there was no OSU on it. I kind of feel like I deprived myself of some really good college football this year because I wasn't watching them. 
as close as I should have been. Well, the good thing about not actually like having the media credential is you're at home on Saturday and you're able to sit in front of the three television setup and watch basically every game all day long, which is kind of a, I missed being on site, but it was, it was definitely nice to be back in the, you know, like watch every game every Saturday mode. <laughs> I envy you. Yeah. I envy you. And sometimes the credential as I'm starting to find out, can, can be somewhat can, can be somewhat overrated depending on what the atmosphere of the press box is like. So for sure, for sure. It, it is what it is. All right, my friend, I always appreciate it. Great conversation, and uh, we'll catch up next Tuesday. Sounds good, Colby. Thanks to Eric G., co-host of the Pat Jones Show on 97.1, the sports animal Tulsa, joining me on today's episode. That is it for today's episode of the Colby Daniels Podcast, presented by Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Check out their line of natural medicine products. When you visit the website, abotanicalcompany.com, use the discount code ColbyShow, C-O-L-B-Y-S-H-O-W, discount code ColbyShow at checkout to save 15% off your online order. Again, abotanicalcompany.com. The website is terrific, easy and safe pickup. 15% off your online order with Colby Show at checkout, abotanicalcompany.com. And if you have questions about CBD or Kratom or Delta 8, give them a call, 405-458-9699. They're all about helping people live a better life. They're all about answering your questions and educating you on how their products can help you live a better life. So, again, big shout out to the good people at Artisan Botanicals and check out the website, abotanicalcompany.com. Everybody have a great day. Stay safe, and I will talk to you tomorrow. Podcast is over.